The following audio is from a sermon series entitled, A Church for the City. For more information about Sacred City Church, please visit sacredcitychurch.com. Hear the word of the Lord from Jeremiah 29, 4-14. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce, take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage, that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you and do not listen to the dreams that they dream. For it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you, and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. This is the word of the Lord. All right. Well, good morning. My name is Justin. I'm one of the pastors here, and each week in this new series that we're entitled uh, church for the City, we're going to be highlighting a, uh, a member of Sacred City who's doing work in our city, and we're going to be kind of hearing how the gospel's informing their work in our city. And, uh, and so each week, you can expect, we don't do videos a lot, but we're going to be doing them every week for this series. I'm going to pray. We're going to jump into it. We've got a lot of work to do this morning. Um, Father, I thank you for your grace to us. Father, your grace is so potent that it takes spiritually dead people and brings them to life. And we are relying on that grace this morning to bring us to life, to energize us, to awaken us, to help us focus, help us hear, help us experience, help us meet with you. And would you, with that grace, uh, come upon me today to think through my mind and speak through my vocal cords that um, a person who, as Jeff said, doesn't always get it right, a person like me who doesn't always get it right, would you help me get it right today through your spirit and through your word? And would you help us hear it and get it right this morning? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, if you're new here, this is a great time to join us. We're discussing a key piece of our DNA at Sacred City Church, that uh, we aren't here just to build a great church. We're here to build a great city. We believe God's called us to the Quad Cities to build great cities here in the Quad Cities. Um, The vision statement that we've got is this. We want to build great cities for all people through a gospel movement that brings personal transformation, community formation, social justice, and cultural renewal to the Quad Cities. And if you stick around over the next few weeks, you're going to hear us break down what each of those uh, pieces of that vision statement means. 
And so we're preaching through this new series we're calling A Church for the City to unpack kind of what we mean when we say the word, you know, we, we gave ourselves the name Sacred City. What, what do we actually mean by that? And I, I chose the name Sacred City, and one of the reasons I chose that name was because sacred means devoted to God. And I wanted to kind of communicate the fact that the church of Jesus Christ is meant to be a city of God within the city of man. We are a city within the city, okay? That's what the church is, a city within the city. When the apostle Paul was writing to the church in the pagan city of Ephesus, he tells them this in chapters 2, verses 19 to 20. You are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens. There's a scripture that should be on the screen right now. Thank you. You are no longer, are we awake this morning? All right, good, because I am feeling a little feisty, and so I'm hoping that you're awake and ready to go, because I felt like I was preaching a little bit to a peop, you know, like a very large foyer to a dental office. You're awaiting a dental appointment. Nobody's really excited about it, but I hope it's more than that this morning. Is it? Is it more than that? Okay, well, let's, let's get there. Scripture on the screen, Philipp, uh, Ephesians 2, 19 through 20. I'm praying it's going to show up. You are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Listen, Paul is speaking to these new believers or these believers, and these believers are coming from, I mean, they're coming from a pagan background, multicultural, they're in a port city, all kinds of different, you know, upbringings and backgrounds, and they're coming together and they've become Christians, and he's telling these people that are so diverse that you are now citizens citizens, members of a city, citizens of the household of God. He says, when you come to faith in Jesus, you become citizens of a different city, the city of God. What that means is Christians have a citizenship issue. I wonder how many times we've thought about that. Did you know that? Did you, did you know that this is one of the reasons why a Christian never quite feels at home in the world. Never quite feels at home in the city. Paul says it like this in Philippians chapter 3, verses 20. Again, Paul writing to another city, another church that's in a city. He says this, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. There Paul is reminding the Christians of Philippi that they are more than Philippians. Don't define yourself by your city of origin or your city of residency. There's a, there's a greater identity that you need to know, and it's this, you are citizens of heaven. Now, if we can remember from a few weeks back or maybe a couple months back from our study in Revelation chapter 21, when Jesus renews all things, he brings a new city, a heavenly city, right? It comes down and it renews the earth. It comes down out of heaven and then it 
populates the earth. And then we, our end, the end of the Christian life isn't floating on a cloud in the great by and by, by, but it's as a resident, as a citizen of the new Jerusalem on this earth, a city without sin, without pain, without struggle, with Christ as our king and with one another in, in perfect harmony. Now, as Christians, we should long for that city to come. See, we, are, we have this kind of dual citizenship status. We are in the city, but not of the city, right? We, we are, most of us probably, we are residents of the Quad Cities, and yet we are also longing for the city of God to come. And we are citizens of that future city. The author of Hebrews says this about Abraham. That Abraham, if you go back and study the Old Testament, that a- this is what he says in Hebrews chapter 11 of Abraham. Abraham, verse 10, was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. The author of Hebrews is saying, Abraham was longing for that future city. Then he goes on in verse 16 and says this, but as it is, the people of faith, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. <clears throat> Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. For look, he has prepared for them a city. If you study the book of Hebrews, the book of Hebrews is an interesting book. Craig Coaster, the Lutheran commentator who wrote the Anchor Bible Commentary, he says this, you can divide the book of Hebrews up into three parts. In chapters one through four, we are on a journey with Jesus the prophet to the true rest of God. That's why he's always talking about the Sabbath. And then in chapters five to 10, we are on a journey with Jesus, the true priest, into the true presence of God. Jesus as our high priest. Well, then in chapters 10 through 13, the last third of the book, we are on a journey with Jesus, the king, onto the true city of God. <clears throat> Hebrews 13, 14 says it this, like this. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Now, here's what he's saying. If you were born in Manchester, England, you would be a citizen of Manchester, right? Probably also be a citizen of England. And if you got your passport and your visa and you moved here to the Quad Cities and you put down roots and you applied for your American, right, citizenship, you would have a new unique status. You would be a dual citizen or a multiple, you would have multiple citizenship. You'd be a citizen of England, a citizen of America. You'd be a citizen of Manchester and a citizen of Davenport. You would have a unique status. Now, we don't often think about this, but the writers of the Bible and God himself sees Christianity like this. When you become a Christian, you become a dual citizen. It doesn't matter where you were born. It doesn't matter what ethnicity we are. When we come to Christ, we become citizens in the new city of God, even though that city is still future and that city isn't fully here yet. This is why 
Christians are often referred to, and we, we studied 1 Peter and we heard this in 1 Peter, Christians are often called exiles, sojourners, immigrants. That we as Christians are a city we are, we are members and citizens of a city that isn't quite here yet. And we're longing for it and we're waiting for it. We're waiting for the future city of God where God will rule and everyone will know him and there will be no more sin and no more tears and no more crime and no more poverty and no more brokenness and everything that we long for will be right in front of our eyes. There will be no more faith because when Christ comes back, faith is turned to sight. So for us who are Christian, we are citizens of the Quad Cities, but we're also citizens of the city of God that is to come. Here's the question. So what? What does our dual citizenship status have to do with our everyday lives? Well, the short answer is everything. Um, Last week, we saw that God both loved and grieved over the city, right? But he didn't just sit back and watch, or he didn't just critique or complain that God did what? God sent Jesus as a missionary to the city of man to heal it, to redeem it. Jesus brought redemption to the city of man through his life, death, and resurrection. But the question still remains, what does that have to do with how we live as citizens in the Quad Cities? So what is the fact that we're citizens in a city to come, how does that affect our citizenship here in the Quad Cities? Well, here's the longer answer. I figured everything wouldn't just suffice. I couldn't just move on to the next point. Here's the longer answer. We're going to find our long answer in one of the most famous passages in all the Bible. Christians often put this verse on coffee cups, T-shirts, and even their desktop pictures. In fact, let me show you a, an example. I just Googled the verse, and this came up, and many of us know it. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord Plans for welfare and not for evil. To give you a future and a hope. Jeremiah 29, 11. Hashtag blessed. <laughs> this picture is beautiful, isn't it? Pristine even. Images like this and words like that going in and out of block lettering and cursive, right? Print and cursive, different fonts and whatever that little thing is on the bottom. <laughs> this is what Instagram was made for. Except here's a problem. That image, you know there's a coffee cup in her hand, by the way. <laughs> you don't even see it, but there is some, you know, fair trade coffee in her cup on the other side. But this image takes those words 
completely out of context in such a way that it changes the meaning of the words. Let me explain. That verse of scripture was spoken to the nation of Israel right after they had been taken into Babylonian captivity. If you read the book of Jeremiah, if you do, buckle up uh, and either read really fast. Don't like, you just need to read really fast, okay? Because the first 28 chapters are nothing but doom and gloom. The people had stopped living by faith They had started worshiping other gods. They'd become just like the culture around them. And God was telling them, if you don't change, if you don't repent, trouble is coming. Well, they didn't change and trouble came. And trouble came to them, not in God rebuking them from heaven. Trouble came to them from a rival nation invading them, conquering Jerusalem, the people of God and the place of God, conquering the city of God. And you know what happened? Well, first off, Babylon killed most of them or many of them, but then they spared the best and the brightest among them and they took them back to Babylonian captivity so they could take advantage of the human capital and the human resources that they had to offer. So in 597 BC, Babylon invaded, killed most, many of them, took the rest off into Babylonian exile. And so here's the context. The people of God are now captives in the city, the pagan city of Babylon. So put the the scripture back up, or not the scripture, but the, yeah, that. See, there should not be any lakes or trees or mountains or relaxing breezes in the picture. The picture, if it's accurate to the text, should be full of broken people, city problems, pain, doubt, fear, pagan worship, That's the context it was written into. It should be a picture that depicts an urban reality. Lots of people, right? Here here we've got one woman looking out on, you can't really see, but that's some kind of lake or sea or something out there. Very relaxing. No doubt she's on vacation. And not just any city, Babylon was the most wicked city imaginable. Maybe the most wicked city on the face of the planet at the time. If you read the Bible, Babylon stood for everything that was against God. And you remember from Revelation, Babylon was called Babylon the whore. That's how God referred to Babylon. And here we have in this text, God's people, because of their own rebellion, now they are captive. They are exiles. They are captive transplants into a godless city. Here's the the question. How should they live? What should we do now? We look around as they're in Israel. They're now in Babylon. They're looking around. There are no temples for their worship. 
There's nobody practicing the Sabbath. There's nobody teaching the Bible. They're, They're looking around and all they see is pagans doing pagan things. All kind of rampant sexuality, the murder of children. There was, they would just, if they didn't like a child, they would just sit it outside and expose the child to the elements and let the child die. If there's anything wrong with the child, they'd get rid of the child, they'd just throw it out. There's all kind of pag- pagan ritual worship, all kind of stuff going on. And now here they are, the small community, dropped down as prisoners, as exiles into Babylon. How, how should we live? What should we do? Well, I think the two most common answers that you see in history, you have two options. You can either assimilate or you can isolate. Assimilate is where, I'm just going to put it in our today's language. Assimilate is where Christians just take on the values of the city of man, whatever city. They become just like everybody else in the city. They raise their kids just like their neighbors raise their kids. They go to the schools just like their kids, their neighbor's kids goes to school. They shop in the same places. They have the same values. Their schedules look the same. They're, everything about their life just takes on what everybody else is doing in the city. And, and when you assimilate with a pagan culture or a non-Christian culture, you lose, you you basically become indistinguishable from your unbelieving neighbors. Now, here's the other option. You can isolate. This is where Christians try to create their own kind of private ghetto in the city. They live in the city, but they aren't for the city. They care about their own safety and their own prosperity, but they don't really care if the city goes to waste. As long as we've got this little Christian enclave, we'll be fine. So let's kind of circle the wagons and let's point them all, right? Let's let's look at each other. Let's get a Christian community together where we can do Christian things together. And it doesn't really matter what's going on in the city. It doesn't really matter what's going on around me. What matters is this little bubble that I've got in the city where we can do Christian things and we can be Christian together. These are still what I think, these are probably the the most prominent ways Christians relate to the culture. They either assimilate, they just drop in and become just like everybody else, and you really can't tell if a person's a Christian or not by the way they live their life, or they isolate, create these little Christian enclaves of safety. But this is where we see the beauty and really the diversity in the ways of God compared to the ways of man. God doesn't tell his people to assimilate or to isolate. He tells them, in essence, to be a church for the city. A city of God within the city of man who seeks the good of the city of man. If you've got your Bibles, open up Jeremiah 29, verse 4. We're going to read this in context Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Okay, this is what I want you to see here. First thing. This, This would be concerning. You're in exile, right? You're mad. Imagine another nation coming in and taking off, taking us off into exile, and we wake up one day and we're in Iraq, 
And then the prophet who's still in Jerusalem, the prophet of God, writes back. That's what's going on. Jeremiah is writing to these exiles who are in this captivity. And this is the first thing he says to them. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. First thing these people need to recognize. They are missionaries. They are a city of sent people within the city of Babylon, that they are God-sent people, that God viewed the exile as a mission. Literally, what God said was that they're here in, in the, to seek the peace and prosperity of the city, which I have sent you. So what we're learning here right away is Nebuchadnezzar didn't take them to Babylon. God sent them there. They were exiles. They, they weren't just exiles. They weren't just captives. They were also missionaries. Keep reading. So I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Five, verse five. Build houses and live in them. What's he doing? Put down roots. Buy a house. Move into it. Now, you're thinking, God's going to get me out of this place pretty quick, right? Like, I don't, how long am I going to be in this city? He says, buy, buy houses, build houses, live in them. Keep reading. Plant gardens and eat their produce. He's saying there, work in the city. Live in the city, work in the city, plant and eat. Now it's interesting. Martin Luther said that a Christian cobbler, he doesn't do his job Christianly by putting little crosses on shoes. He does his job Christianly by doing it for the glory of God, for doing it really well. Thankfully, Jeff has never shaved the cross in the back of my head. <laughs> Trying to live out my faith here. There you go. Got it. Right? No, 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 no. That's not how you do your job Christianly. You do it well for the glory of God. You do it humbly. You're listening to stories. You're sharing the gospel when you have opportunity. You're doing it with the idea and the, 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 the idea that you are a servant and a missionary sent on mission to your city, that every person that God puts in the barber chair is sent there by God, and they're sent there so that you can get to know them, you can hear their story, you can help them, you can serve them, you can share the gospel with them. In a pagan city, God says, build houses, plant vineyards, or plant gardens, keep reading, this one, and eat their produce, enjoy the city. Verse six, this one is, Shocking. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take, and don't just stop there. That's what he's saying. When you're thinking about the city that God has sent you, don't think one generation. This is so contrary to where we're at as a society. We are the most disconnected society that probably has ever existed. Okay? Okay? while being 
the most connected digitally that's ever, that's for sure ever existed. And many of us, we go from city to city to city. We go get our education. We try, and then our job, wherever our job sent us, we go from around. We just get set. Some of us, we just get bored and we just want to move. When we get bored, we realize that one town has mosquitoes and we need to move somewhere that doesn't have mosquitoes. Oh, this town floods. Let me go somewhere else. Oh, there's an earthquake here. Let's go somewhere else. Oh, there's, right? And we just move from city to city. Now, listen, when we do that, we literally have no roots for a family. We don't know who we are, that we're meant to find some of our identity, some of who we are through our relationship with a place. These are my people. This is my place. I knew their mom. They knew my mom. They knew my grandma. They know me. I'm known deeply in a certain place. It's interesting they get moved to this pagan city. They're hoping to get out of there as soon as possible. And God says this, buy houses, start working there, start a family, and then even with your kids, look for their, look for their spouse in the city. He's saying, think multi-generationally here about the city. You're not gonna be here for a short while. Later on, we'll see you're gonna be here for at least 70 years, he says. Keep reading. Do not, so, and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. So your kids and your grandkids multiply there and do not decrease. Verse seven, but seek the welfare of the city. Oh, can you, I hope I've painted a good enough picture here that you can feel how blasphemous this would sound to the ears of those, of those Israelites. Seek the welfare of this city? The ones who just killed our people and brought us into exile? The ones who worship other gods? Seek the welfare of this city? God says, yes. He says, our text says, seek the welfare. The actual word there is shalom. Shalom is, it means peace, but it's more than just, in our American idea of peace, we think the absence of conflict. But shalom is comprehensive peace. It's more than the absence of conflict or the absence of death. It is a rich term that fills out the word community by embracing well-being, contentment, wholeness, health, prosperity, safety, and rest. Here's what shalom means. Human flourishing. It means when things are flourishing with one another, things are flourishing with their relationship with God. We don't just, we're not just fighting. We're not just not arguing. We don't just, you know, we're not dying, but things are actually going really well and they're flourishing. God says, seek the flourishing of the city that I've sent you into and keep reading. Why? And, and, and here's the last thing we we're supposed to do. And pray to the Lord on its behalf. Pray to God for the city. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. Here God is telling his people 
to do everything in their power to make this broken city, this rebellious city, look more like the heavenly city that is to come. Clean the streets. Feed the poor. That's what I mean. Seek the flourishing of the city. Make it better. Befriend the outsider. Find solutions to the problems. Don't just critique. Don't just complain. Don't just be there reluctantly. Don't just look around and go, I'm here for a year or two and then I'm out of here. No, seek the welfare of the city. What's he saying? He's saying, I've sent you there as missionaries to make the city more like the city to come. I want you to live as a city within the city and this new city of good, this this city, I'm gonna use our New Testament language, these Christians, this city of God should make the city of man a better place to live. Be a church for the city. There's certain type of Christians that just love to pick it. They love to pick it. They love to, you know, they're always trying to find out which businesses are ran by unbelievers and then don't go there. That's not biblical. Good luck with that, by the way. What if your children use that same standard with you? As soon as they see sin in your life, we're not obeying you. We won't, we're not under your leadership anymore, right? Because that would last about a day in my house, more than likely, right? That's not a biblical way to approach the city. That's not a biblical way. God wants to redeem the city. He wants to bring light into a dark place, and the light doesn't picket the darkness. The light moves into the darkness. And it lights up the darkness by its very presence. The light doesn't try to become darkness to like contextualize itself to the darkness. The light just moves into the neighborhood. And light, by its very nature, brings light to the darkness. And I I have to be honest, the first time I read Jeremiah 29, I was shocked. Because in my mind, there's only two ways to relate to the city. There were the quote-unquote liberals who just embraced the city and became just like the city of man, and they just looked like everybody else. And whatever the values of the culture had, that they, they adopted the values of sexuality, the value of gender identity, the value of meaning and purpose, and all, all of it, just, they just adopted it. Or you could have this kind of conservative approach to the city, and you're just trying to Create your own little space in the city where you can be free to be you and you can be conservative and you can be Christian or you can be whatever and you're just going to create your own little spot on there. So there was this assimilate or isolate. And I I honestly thought that this isolate was the biblical approach until I read this and I thought, how shocking. Seek the welfare of that city. Intermarry. For thus says the Lord, verse 10. Let 
When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. Here we go. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for, look, there's that word again, welfare, peace, shalom, and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart, and I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. Now, this is a glorious promise that was given to missionary people who are living in a pagan nation that they could he's telling them live on mission for 70 years and then I'm going to restore your fortunes back to you this is one of the most surprising and shocking verses in the bible but God is telling God's telling his people that he is going to reach the city of man from the inside out. That they were to live in the city for the city. They weren't to assimilate. They weren't to isolate. They were to be gospel people on mission to the city. Now, one of the interesting things, if you study the history of Christianity is you learn that this is actually one of the reasons why Christianity spread so fast. The Apostle Paul, in the book of Acts, he literally went from one large city to the next, from city to city to city, preaching the gospel and creating little gospel cities within the cities of man. That's what church planting is, planting little gospel cities within the cities of man. And what happened was, about 100 years later, we have this letter that's been found. Uh, it was a letter written, and it's not a part of the Bible. And it's called, you can Google it if you want to look it up, it's called the Letter to Diognetus. The Letter to Diognetus. And in this letter, Diognetus says, people are asking, why is Christianity spreading so fast? What's going on? It's taken over the whole Roman Empire. What's going on? And it's interesting, this is, the, this is the term that he uses, Diognetus, about, um, the, it was about 100, they don't know the exact date, it's between 100 and 200 uh, um, AD. <clears throat> this is what he says, he says, Christianity is spreading so fast because Christians, quote, Christians are the soul of the city. To paraphrase, this is what he said, Christians share their table with all, but their beds with one. Okay? The culture, you think we're the most sexually expressive culture that's ever existed? Not even close. Not even close. They had temples in Ephesus where you worshiped God through having sex with a prostitute. Okay? The pagan empire, the Roman empire, very sexually, they would have sex with all kinds of different people, not just their spouse. But when it came to who you ate with, very limited people. 
You're basically only eating with your family or people who could move you up the status, the, the ladder of status of society. But Christians were something different. They flipped that on its head and only shared their bed with their spouse, but they shared their table with anyone. Here's, he says this, Christians don't expose their children like everyone else. Well, that's a weird word. What does it mean to be exposed? It means to expose them to the elements. Abortion was very dangerous back then. And so, and so instead of aborting your child, if you didn't want it, if you couldn't, have a, couldn't feed it or there's something wrong with it, you just set the baby outside and exposed it to the elements and it died. Common practice. Christians would not expose their children. And when they found a child that was exposed, they would take the child and adopt it as their own. They were the soul of the city. Quote, they pass their days on earth, but they are citizens of heaven. They love all human beings, but they're persecuted by everyone. They are poor, yet make many rich. They lack all things, yet have everything they want. They are insulted and repay insult with honor. To sum up, what the soul is in the body, that's what Christians are in the city. And as the soul is dispersed through all the members of the body, Christians now are scattered throughout all the cities of the world. Light in a dark city. Christians as the soul of the city. Now, a church could do all those things and still fail to bring shalom to a city. By themselves, random acts of kindness cannot bring enduring peace. The only basis for real and lasting shalom is the work of Christ on the cross. The city cannot be at peace until the city knows Jesus Christ and him crucified. See, in its, in, it, in its sin, in our city, in our sin, the whole city is actually at war with God and it deserves wrath and it deserves the curse of God. But Jesus Christ came as the true missionary. What happened in Jeremiah 20? Guess what? Jesus did that for us. He left the city of God to come to the city of man. He sought the shalom of the city of man that he did those things for us. He was raised for 30 years on this planet for us. He lived as a light in a dark place for us. He was a missionary sent to our city for us. And when we believe that and when we embrace that, we can have our sins forgiven. We can, Jesus Christ came to make peace between God and humanity. Romans 5.1 says, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Think about that. Whatever shalom the Hebrews offered to Babylon, Christians are able to offer much greater peace to today's city. What we offer is eternal peace with God through the work of Christ on the cross. That peace is the basis for everything else we do in the city. The fact that we have, we were at war with God 
And through the work of Christ on our behalf, we have been given peace. We've been made at peace with God. We've been given shalom from God. This is what, this is the basis for everything else we do in the city. It's what makes us good neighbors. It's what makes us compassionate. It's what makes us charitable and generous. It's what makes us missional. When the city finds peace with God, all will be well with the city. And God has sent us to our city to bring the shalom that we've gotten from him to our city. And to the, to the level that we understand what he's done for us on the cross, that's going to determine how we live for the city of man. Every week we, we celebrate the Lord's Supper. And it's a violent supper. It's so strange that we say, come eat his body and drink his blood. This is why the idea that all religions lead to God is so heinous. God says, there is no shalom with mankind unless my son comes and lives and dies for them. It's the only way the city can have peace. And every other religion says, oh, you don't need Jesus. You didn't need a sacrificial death. We can make peace with God through other means. Every week we're reminded there's no other means to make yourself right with God and to make yourself right with one another. Jesus had to die for us. So we come this morning, we take the body that Jesus said on the night that he was betrayed and murdered on our behalf. Take this bread and eat it. It is my body given for you. Take the cup. It is my blood that was shed for you. And we do this in remembrance of him. And we do this to proclaim his death. We do this to say this is how we find shalom. Through the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for your work in sending your son to the city of man. And I pray that the Christians here today would eat the body and drink the blood and we would embrace this identity of servants and missionaries to our city Pray that you would do this in us for the good of our city, Father. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.